The uh, text that's printed in the bulletin is not the text that I'll be preaching from this morning. Uh, ac- actually, I preached that text the second time I was here. So uh, maybe the Lord wanted me to preach it again. I don't know. But um, the text is Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, and the title of the message is Boasting in the Cross. I'm going to begin reading at Galatians chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. Again, the sermon text is verse 14, but I want you to hear the context So hear now this reading of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Galatians 6, starting at verse 12. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision or nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Let's pray. Our Father, we rejoice that you have given to us your holy word. We're thankful that it's complete. We're thankful that you have given it to us as a means by which we can know you better that we can know your Son better, and also to know the Holy Spirit better. We rejoice in our triune God, and we thank you for this revelation that you have given to us as a means of encouraging us, as a means of challenging us, as a means of making us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would abundantly bless the proclamation of your word at this time. That this would truly be a time of your power. That you would, by the Holy Spirit, work in the preacher and through the preacher by the power of the Holy Spirit. That you would grant true preaching here today that you would bless the preacher with the power of your spirit. And then, Lord, may that word go forth in the power of the spirit to those who hear this proclamation. Our desire is that no one would leave this place today unchanged by the proclamation of your word. Pray, Father, that you would work powerfully in our midst and within each one of us. We ask this in faith 
and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Here again, verse 14. And this is from the New King James. I should have mentioned that earlier. Um, I've mentioned that before I preached from the New King James. You're not going to find it that much difference if you have uh, the ESV in front of you. But hear this. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In this text, Paul makes it abundantly clear that his desire is that his exclusive boast be in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not hyperbole. Paul is not saying this for rhetorical effect. He really means this. He desires that Christ, the cross of Christ, would be his exclusive boast. His boasting in the cross, first of all, refers to what the crucifixion of Christ did for him. And then he goes on to present in this verse two other crucifixions. The first of these two expresses what the cross did in him. And the third and last one expresses what the cross did to him. And undoubtedly, it's these last two crucifixions that also has caused Paul to desire that his exclusive boast be in the cross. And this morning as a means of helping you prepare for partaking of the Lord's Supper. I want you to see your need for boasting in the cross, even exclusively boasting in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. This text, properly understood, calls us to a high level of discipleship. The implication here by this verse is not only that we should consider what Paul wrote, we should also understand that we are to follow his example. You may recall that in 1 Corinthians, twice Paul instructs the Corinthian believers to imitate him. This is a place where we should understand we should also imitate the Apostle. So first of all, we're going to consider how Paul boasted in the cross for what it did to him. The first thing that we should understand is what does Paul mean by the cross? He's not talking about that wooden structure upon which Christ was crucified. We're not like the Roman Catholics who have all kinds of different pieces of the cross through all these different churches. In fact, it's been known that They have enough pieces of wood to construct several different crosses. What Paul is talking about here is the doctrine of the atoning work of Christ and all that it accomplished. The cross should be understood as a very broad concept. We need to next consider what Paul meant by those words, God forbid. That's not a literal translation of the Greek at all. Greek literally reads, 
May it never be. In fact, your ESV, if you have that in front of you, reads pretty close. Far be it from me that I should boast, except in the cross of Christ. New American Standard does a very good job. I've given some very literal translation. May it never be. What we need to understand is what Paul is getting across by this statement is that for him, this is an abhorrent thing that Paul is just abhorred at the possibility that the cross would not be his exclusive boast. If we were to put this into Modern language, it would be as though Paul had said, perish the thought. Perish the thought that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul here is expressing his abhorrence that that would not be the case with him. Paul is expressing prayerful desire. For the cross to always be his exclusive boast. Now, we tend to think of the word boast in kind of a negative way, don't we? Well, there are places in the New Testament where the word here that's been translated boast does mean to brag. In fact, just in the previous uh, verses, look at verses 12 and 13. For as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast, it's the same word, that they may boast, in your flesh. In other words, that they may brag about your flesh. And if you look at verse 4, because a lot of times this word has a very positive idea. In fact, a lot of times the best way to translate it is to rejoice. The noun form is found in verse 4 of chapter 6, where we read this. But let each one examine his own work, and the and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. The point here is that the cross for Paul was an intense source of joy. It was an intense source of joy and not just an item on a checklist of orthodoxy. Now, one of the things when when I think about boasting, and maybe you do too, is usually kind of vocal, isn't it? See, I think maybe this word here suggests at least that Paul is wants to bring out the idea of how vocal, not just that he rejoiced in the cross, but he was vocal in his rejoicing. I think as we move through this verse, you're going to see that that must be the case. <coughs> you and I need to be more vocal in our rejoicing in the cross, don't we? Do we not? 
Now, Paul may be, or at least he may seem to be contradicting himself in other texts where he seems to boast or rejoice in something other than the cross. Now, there's no contradiction here. But let me give you this example. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. There he wrote, he's writing to the, the believers of Thessalonica, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? That's the noun form. Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. See, for Paul, everything that he rejoiced in points back to the cross. He is rejoicing in the cross work of Christ in those Thessalonian believers. I am convinced that Paul saw everything through the cross. Everything through the cross. And the cross is a very broad concept. Every blessing you enjoy, every privilege that you have, has come to you through the cross. That includes both spiritual and material blessings. Every blessing, every privilege that you enjoy as a believer was bought for you by the blood of the Lord Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? We need to see everything through the cross. And also to rejoice that God sees us through the cross. Paul gives us reasons for why we should boast, even here in the book of Galatians. Why should you and I rejoice? What is the reason for why we rejoice in the cross? I want you to look at the very next verse, verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. He's talking about regeneration here. Understand this. No one can boast in the cross, rejoice in the cross, without there being a spiritual change in that person. See, notice that four at the beginning of verse 15. See, conformity to externals cannot change what you are. Only the regenerating work of the Spirit can do that. And the result is boasting in the cross. But also, before you can truly boast in the cross, you must understand what you were before you believed and what you are now as a believer. Consider this, before you believed, you were a guilty sinner. 
Galatians 3.22, here Paul writes, The scripture has confined all under sin. Before you believed, you were a sinner under the curse of God. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Before you believed, you were a hell-bound sinner. Galatians 5, 19-21 Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, self-ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you before, as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There are only two destinies, two eternal destinies. It's either in the kingdom of God, which the standards call the kingdom of glory, which we're still waiting for, but then also then there's hell and the lake of fire. But also understand this, that before you believed, you were a loved sinner. Galatians 2.20 Here Paul describes Jesus as the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that and there has the sense of and therefore. <coughs> In other words, he's describing Jesus as the Son of God who loved me and therefore gave himself for me. Christ didn't save you so that he could love you. He didn't save you so that he could love you. He saved you because he already loved you. That's why he redeemed you. But understand this. Yes, before you believed, you were a loved sinner. And you're still a loved sinner, having believed. But now you're a justified sinner. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. We, we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might not be justified, excuse me, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Now that you believe, you are a sinner who is being sanctified. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Sounds like a pretty good description of sanctification to me. But understand this, now that you believe, you are an adopted sinner. 
Galatians 4.5. There we read that Christ came to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. I mean, there's certain things right now I, I just want to spring off into another sermon, but I'll, I'll have to hold off. But think about that. You and I, as adopted sinners, have been given the privileges of the sons of God. I love the way, well, you've got to look at the standards about adoption, okay? But here's the, here's the thing. After you've believed, you are now a secure sinner. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, Paul describes believers both as heirs and also as adopted sons. Now, you know that Paul was a Roman citizen, I'm sure. Did you know that according to Roman law, an adopted son could never be disinherited? It'd never be disinherited. A, a, a natural son could be. But an adopted son, according to Roman law, could not be disinherited. You are indeed secure in Christ. But I think I preached on that one time here, didn't I? So Paul here has, up to this point, has been telling us that he boasted in the cross because of what the cross did for Because of what the cross did for him. And now he goes on to explain that he boast, boasted in what the cross did in him. In my text, the New King James, it says, By whom the world has been crucified to me. But this nice, there's a nice little footnote at the bottom of the page It says, or by which. And that's really what it should be. If you have an ESV in front of you, that's what it is, and that's correct. Paul here is talking about the cross. By which. By which. The world. Had been crucified to him. Have you ever heard someone being described as a person who wears rose-colored glasses? What do we mean by that expression? We mean that the person sees everything in a very positive way, right? That's how I understand looking at things through rose-colored glasses. I want you to understand that Paul saw the world as it really is because he wore blood-colored glasses. Notice Paul says that it was by the cross that the world had been crucified to him. The world had been crucified to him. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, the Apostle John gives us three categories of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The world refers to every, sin, every sinful thing on this planet 
that appeals to your flesh, your eyes, and your pride. The flesh. The flesh is like a hungry monster inside you that wants to devour all that the world offers you as a means of satisfying its lustful cravings for sinful pleasures. When the world is is crucified to you by the cross, things of the world that would feed your flesh is taken away. Rejoicing in the cross cuts the world off from you and starves your flesh. The lust of the eyes. That refers to everything in this world that visually tempts you to sin. A lot of times I think when we think about this particular category of sin, we think about men viewing pornography. That's a big part of it. Ladies, if you go into another home and you become covetous of the furnishings and of the appliances, guess what? Yeah, you get it. You get it. Pride of life refers to everything in this sinful world. Every sinful thing in this world that appeals to your ego, or we can just put it bluntly, to your pride. If your exclusive boast is in the cross, all which is a sinful source of your pride goes right down the garbage disposal. If a preacher boasts in his eloquence, if a Sunday school teacher into his insights into the Bible, a lay person of his or her good conduct, then in each case, that that pride needs to be understood as being in the realm of the world to be crucified The extent to which you rejoice in the cross is the extent to which you minimize yourself and weaken the attraction of the sinful things in this world. If you fail to confess Christ to the world by your life and by your words, can you honestly say, that the world has been crucified to you. They were rejoicing, this rejoicing in the cross will make you Christ like. If you rejoice in the cross, instead of giving in to the flesh, you're characterized by moral purity. If you rejoice in the cross instead of giving in to greedy lust, the greedy lust of your eyes, you're 
characterized by contentment. If you rejoice in the cross, instead of giving in to pride, you'll be characterized by humility. So Paul has let us know what the cross has done for him, what the cross has done in him, and next, what the cross did to him. When Paul ends with these words, and I to the world, meaning I have been crucified to the world, he is describing his mutual contempt between him and the world. John Gill, the English Baptist pastor, somebody can quote Spurgeon, I guess I can quote John Gill. John Gill is one of my favorite commentators, by the way. John Gill, the English Baptist pastor and scholar of the 18th century, points out that the Syriac and Arabic versions translate the last part of this verse so as to express that Paul was despised by the world. And that's absolutely correct. Paul really is presenting his mutual contempt between him and the world. And I think it's good to point out that Paul's intense joy in the cross is in contrast to the boasting of the Judaizers. Notice the but there at verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul here is contrasting his attitude toward the cross with that of the Judaizers, which I remember hearing something about in this morning's Sunday school lesson. If you're missing out on the Sunday school, you're really missing out. So, again, Paul is contrasting himself with the actions and attitudes of the Judaizers that he's described there in verses 12 and 13. In verse 12, he says that they sought to compel the Galatians to be circumcised so that they, the Judaizers, would not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. The Judaizers were professing Jewish believers. (coughs) Who attempted to convince Gentile believers that they needed to to take on a totally Jewish lifestyle. To Judaize means to make Jewish in the same way that to sanitize means to make sanitary sanitary or to finalize to make something final. To Judaize means to make like a Jew. That would be the attempt. Judaizers... were adding to the works of the law. They were adding faith. What they were adding to faith in Christ was works of the law. 
make no mistake about it, the Judaizers professed that they were believers. It is For them, it wasn't a question of faith or works. It was faith plus works. Indeed, they were adding works of the law to faith in Christ. And so the Judaizers boasted in the circumcision of the Galatians because it implied that they had turned these Galatians, these Gentile believers, into legal zealots like themselves. By boasting in the circumcision of Gentile believers, they escaped the persecution of unbelieving Jews because, in essence, they were turning these Gentiles into Jewish proselytes. Paul, by contrast, boasted in the cross. And as a result, he suffered persecution. Remember what he's just said in verses, back there in verse 13. Why did they want to compel these Gentile believers? It was actually verse 12. To be circumcised? So they, they wouldn't suffer persecution. By contrast, because Paul boasted, he rejoiced in the cross of Christ, he suffered persecution. He suffered persecution from unbelieving Jews, the Judaizers, and unbelieving Gentiles. Because Paul preached the cross to the Judaizers and unbelieving Jews and unbelieving Gentiles, he was the object of hate almost as much as they hated the Lord Jesus himself. So unbelieving Jews... Paul was the object of ridicule because the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to them. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. (coughs) Unsaved Jews considered Paul to be an apostate. They believed that he was one who denied the true Jewish faith. So the world hated and ridiculed Paul Because it hates and ridicules the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 13, we read, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, and, ought, and not only that, but we glory, same word as in our text, but we glory or we rejoice in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. Now, Paul suffered much. So much of his tribulation was in the form of persecutions. Those persecutions that he received from unbelieving Jews and unbelieving Gentiles. But through those persecutions, through those difficulties, the Lord used that to produce in Paul perseverance, character, and hope. A nice short definition of sanctification, I would say. 
If you truly desire to be sanctified, if you truly desire to be sanctified, lift up the cross before a Christ-hating world. You are to cause the world to see you through the cross by your life and by your words. In this text, there are three crucifixions but one cross. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was in this one cross that the apostle desired to have his exclusive boast. The cross was like a window that allowed Paul to see what he had been before he was in Christ, and that was what he had been outside of Christ, and then what he had become in Christ. It was also a window through which he saw the world and every sinful thing in it as contemptible and repulsive. And when the world looked at him through the cross, he was contemptible and repulsive to it. So how is it with you this morning? Is it your desire for the cross, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be your exclusive boast? Or, or is there some area, some area of fleshly lust? Visible, visual enticement or egotistical pursuit that you have not yet acknowledged to be in the realm of the world to be crucified with it? Have you failed to see yourself through the cross? Both what you were outside of Christ and what you are now in Him. Have you failed to rejoice in the cross to such extent that the world is contemptible and repulsive to you? One of the things I was thinking about as I was preparing this message, I wonder how much of my TV viewing would change the more I would look at everything through the cross, including that stupid television. Have you allowed the world to see you through the cross by your life and your words so that it regards you as contemptible and repulsive? May Christ himself give you the grace to declare with the Apostle Paul, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which 
The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let's pray. Our Father, we would ask that you would drive this text deep into our hearts. That we would, in a real sense, see everything through the cross. That we would, so to speak, wear blood-colored glasses. That we would understand that in doing so, that whatever we may rejoice in, it always goes back to the cross. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.